Uh, if you would, take your Bibles and I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. So we're continuing in our uh, series. We're almost, almost at the end of this wonderful and, and challenging letter from uh, the Apostle Peter. This morning we'll be in chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Um, you're welcome to remain seated as we read from this portion of, of God's Word. Pay careful attention. Uh, this is God's word, faithful and true. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if he begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, this is your word, and some of these words are difficult. So we pray that you might give us grace and understanding, grace to believe, and grace to apply these words to our lives. Lead us by your Holy Spirit uh, into all truth, and in all things we pray you would help us to see Jesus, for we pray in his name, amen. Uh, several years ago, our family took a uh, beach trip to Rhode Island. My uh, sister-in-law had a house up there, and so our summer beach trip uh, was to New England that year. And uh, we had a house full, about uh, 11 or 12 of us at that point, some of us with little children. Uh, it was a beautiful week, wonderful week, and near the end of the week, we were starting to kind of pack up and clean up. And on that last day of being at the, at the beach house, everybody was taking showers and kind of getting that, those final preparations before we departed. And all of a sudden, the hot water uh, went out, just cold water. And we still had several people who needed to clean up. And so this was a problem. And since, so, since I know nothing about hot water heaters and electricity in general, I decided I would take care of the problem. So I went down into the uh, garage and, and opened up the box in which all electrical wires meet. Uh, and, and looked at it for a second and then thought I should call somebody. So uh, I called a friend of mine who was an electrician and I said, uh, Jason, how do, you, how do you check a fuse in a breaker box? Some of you got that. And he said, Dave, uh, those two things don't go together. You should stop what you're doing. Um, so I did. I think some of us, when we read a passage like this from 1 Peter or any of the other multitude of passages like this, we, we read things like rejoice when you suffer. Be glad uh, when you're going through pain as a Christian. We read things like that and we think rejoice in suffering, 
glory and pain, these things don't belong together. Um, and yet, it's a common response in the New Testament for us to respond that way, uh, to think that these two things somehow do not belong together. Some of you know this path. Some of you know the path of suffering that leads to glory. Uh, many of you have experienced the deep joy of bearing burdens for the sake of Christ. And, and so you, you read these words and you say, yes, I, I have rejoiced in the midst of suffering. I know what this is. But many of us respond to this perhaps in the same way that Peter responded to these same things. Uh, you recall Peter who wrote these words when he professed faith in Christ, when he confessed that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus told him, that's right. And you know what that means? It means I'm going to be betrayed. It means I'm going to suffer. It means I'm going to die. And it means I'm going to rise again at the end of it. And you remember Peter's response after this wonderful confession of who Jesus is and, and Jesus explaining what that meant to be the Christ. And Peter said, far be it from you, Lord, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking according to man's way of thinking and not according to God's way of thinking. This is the same Peter who, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, as he is going before earthly authorities, before Pontius Pilate, and is eventually condemned to death on a Roman cross, Peter got close enough to see what was going on, got close enough to hear, overhear what was happening with Jesus. And Three times somebody approached him and said, hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you associated with him? Aren't you one of his followers? And three times, no, 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 denying Jesus because he understood the outcome of associating himself with Jesus. This is the Peter who even succumbed to the soft persecution, we might call it, of Jewish Christians in the church who put the pressure on Peter and said, you shouldn't eat with non-Jewish Christians. They should be circumcised first if you're going to have fellowship with them around the table. And Peter caved into that pressure and he backed off and, and with his actions practically denied the gospel of grace. You can read about that in Galatians. Peter writes to us from a place of understanding, a place of both failure and a place of success because it's the same Peter whom Jesus restored and said, if you love me, love, love my church. It's the same Peter who was beaten and flogged for preaching the name of Jesus and refusing to stop. And then he, with his companions, left their beating, rejoicing, leaping for joy that they would be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So Peter writes to us not from the ivory tower, separated from real experience, separated from the things that he's calling us to do. He's lived it. He's lived it on the failure side and he's lived it on the faithfulness side and he calls us from that place of failure and obedience, of relying on Jesus, stumbling as he does it. He calls us to realistically and honestly face the inevitable trials that come to us as Christ's followers. And as we do, he calls us to rejoice, to live faithfully, and in so doing, to testify to the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. 
that he is worthy and he is worth any hardship that we may endure for his sake. But that's hard. It's hard to do that. So how do we do it? Peter gives us three truths and a final exhortation to help us follow Jesus faithfully through hardships that we face for his sake, for the sake of his name. Uh, if, you're, if you want the outline ahead of time, here, here are the three truths and the final exhortation. Uh, he calls us to endure suffering with joy because of our fellowship with Christ. He calls us to endure suffering with joy uh, because God is with us, just as he was with Jesus. And he calls us to endure suffering with joy, reminding us that if we endure now, uh, we are saved. It's evidence that we are saved in the future. And then finally, he calls us to entrust ourselves to God while doing good. We'll say those all again if you didn't get them that time. Let's look first. Peter encourages us to suffer with joy because of our fellowship with Christ. Notice verse 13. It says, don't be surprised, verse 12 and verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. We share, as believers in Jesus, we share in both Christ's suffering and his glory, which is another way of saying the way in which Jesus has saved us, what, what he did for our salvation, sets the pattern for our lives as we follow him. His redemptive work shapes our following him as our Redeemer. What, what does that look like? What is it that Jesus did to blaze the trail for us to belong to him, to save us? He died. He, he suffered and he died and he rose again in glory. And so as we identify ourselves with Jesus through faith, Peter is saying here, we, are, we share in his suffering. Our lives are shaped by the fact that we follow a suffering Savior. And yet they're also shaped by the fact that if we share in his suffering, we also share in the glory that is to come. So in some ways, Peter is saying, don't forget the cross, that the way to life comes through death, the way to glory comes through suffering. Don't forget the cross. He's also saying, don't forget the resurrection, that there is life, there is glory on the other side of all suffering that Christians endure. And so he's, he's telling us, rejoice because as you suffer for the name of Christ, you are sharing in Christ's suffering and that this is the way God works in our lives. Now, what kind of suffering are we, are we talking about here? We might just call it Christian suffering. Um, P Peter's very clear here that the suffering he's talking about is not suffering that you endure because you sinned, right? Don't, if it, don't let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. That's interesting that he throws that in there with murderer. Uh, don't let your suffering come to you because you have sinned rather than walking faithfully with Jesus. That's not the kind of suffering he's talking about. If you, if you have a job and you don't do your job, or you steal money from your employer and you get fired for that, you don't get to raise the Christian suffering card. <laughs> You don't get to say, I'm sharing in Christ's suffering. Peter says, that's not what I'm talking about here. Don't suffer as a murderer or a thief. One who meddles, you don't have authority, but you're messing with everybody else's lives. That's, don't, don't suffer on account of that. He's talking about the suffering that comes from following Jesus. So that's a wide range, right? Anything from the self-denial 
that Jesus calls us to, to putting off our sin and, and suffering that might come from that, all the way to persecution because you are a Christian and everything in between. Uh, so for many of us, it probably comes down to kind of the daily choices that we are often faced with. Uh, perhaps you work in an environment where you, uh, on occasion, face that fork in the road where you realize, uh, if, if, I, if I identify, if I associate myself with Jesus and I, I follow him faithfully rather than going with the flow, then I'm going to risk being ostracized. I'm going to risk losing my job because I'm trying to do the right thing because I'm committed to Jesus. You've got that option or you can say, I won't associate myself with Jesus. I won't stand for what's right because if I, I know that if I don't, if I stand for Jesus and I don't go with the flow, I might lose my job, I might lose friends, uh, might be socially ostracized in some way for standing with Jesus. What do, you, what do you do when you face that fork in the road? And Peter's reminding us here that when we face that fork in the road and we say, I'm following Jesus here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what Christ calls me to do. I'm going to faithfully love God. I'm going to publicly side myself with him. And you deal with the, the, the blowback from that. Peter's saying you're sharing in Christ's suffering. And if you suffer with Christ, there is glory that comes to you as a result of that. It could be that the very place where you are suffering is the place where Christ will bring the greatest glory in your life. So he reminds us, we suffer, uh, we can suffer with joy because in doing so, we are suffering with Christ. I won't uh, read all of this, but just would kind of point you to one place at least where you can see this also in the Apostle Paul. If you go to Philippians 3, Paul talks about the whole of the Christian life in terms of being uh, conformed to the resurrection of Jesus, of sharing in the power of Jesus' resurrection, even as we are conformed to his dying. The whole shape of the Christian life is a sharing in Christ's suffering and in his life. Don't forget the cross, but don't forget the resurrection either. The way to life is through death. The way to glory is through taking up our cross. We share in fellowship with Christ, but Peter also reminds us God is with us. God is, God is with you even in the midst, or perhaps we might say especially when you suffer for the name of Christ. Look at verse 14. Peter here is clearly leaning on Jesus' words and the beatitude, and then he's kind of alluding back to the promise of the Messiah in Isaiah 11. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Remember, it reminds us of Jesus' words in the Beatitude, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Blessed are you when you suffer insult on account of my name. Rejoice, leap for joy in that day, for so they treated the prophets who came ahead of you. Peter is clearly reminding us, reminiscing, remembering Jesus' words in that sermon. But notice, notice what he says. He kind of leans back to Isaiah 11 where Isaiah promises the Messiah who will be full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon the coming Messiah. And here Peter says, uh, you're blessed when you're insulted for the name of Christ because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, even as the Spirit rested upon the promised Messiah. What's, what's Peter saying here? 
He's saying the same spirit who was with Jesus throughout his entire life and who is now revealed as the spirit of the risen Christ, that spirit is with you when you suffer for the name of Jesus. Often I think we, we, we associate suffering with the absence of God. You know, that's maybe what, what we feel. I'm enduring hardship. Where is God in the midst of this? We, we ask those questions. And Peter is reminding us here and, and connecting these two things back together. When you suffer for the name of Christ, God is especially with you in those moments. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, when we are bearing the reproach of Christ, he doesn't leave us. He is with us to strengthen us and to keep us. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Uh, when you go through the fire, you will not be scorched, for I am your redeemer. I will be with you. Do not fear. I am with you. And Peter here is reminding us, in the midst of our suffering, Christ is with us. Uh, third notice at the end here, it's a little bit more of a tricky part of this passage, uh, we suffer with Christ. We share in fellowship with him. God is with us in the midst of our suffering. And then finally, our endurance through suffering now is evidence that we will be saved in the future. Notice verse 16, or rather starting in verse, uh, yeah, start in verse 16. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. And then he gives a reason for why we should glorify God and not be ashamed when we suffer. Verse 17 it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Think about it this way. Part of what Peter is saying here is there's a future final judgment when, when Christ returns. Uh, the, the scriptures are clear about this. Christ will return, and, and the way Jesus talks about it in one place is he will separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, the sheep are those who belong to him. The goats are those who do not belong to him. There will be a final separation when Christ returns as the, the just judge. And, and Peter is telling us here that that final separation, those who have faith and those who have rejected the gospel, that final judgment that separates us is, has been brought back now the beginnings of it, the first fruits of that judgment. You remember last week, you, you might remember last week, we talked about how the resurrection of Jesus has brought the blessings of the age to come now, that we're experiencing the first fruits of those blessings of the age to come and the forgiveness of our sins and the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. And Peter now is saying not only the blessings of the age to come, but that final judgment at the end, the beginning of it, is starting now, but it's starting in the church. And what does he mean by that? I think part of what he's saying is anytime there is this pressure of persecution within the church, there's a separation that begins. There's a revealing of false faith and true faith. The judgment begins within the household of God. Think about it for a moment. You can see this in church history very early on uh, in uh, fourth, fifth century uh, early church, when there was state-sponsored persecution from the Roman Empire, part of what happened is you had a lot of people who belonged to the church who said, we're, we're forsaking our faith 
in order to survive. Um, many of you were here last year when we went through um, a series by Andrew Brunson, who's a Christian pastor who was imprisoned in Turkey for his faith for several years. Uh, and one of the things he said in that video series was that persecution is a unique kind of suffering because the only thing that will relieve uh, persecution for your faith in Jesus is by saying, I don't believe in Jesus. It's the only thing that will alleviate the suffering is to forsake faith. It's a unique kind of suffering. And Peter is reminding us here that, that when that pressure of suffering for the sake of Christ is placed upon the church, that some will say, I would rather do without the pressure and I will forsake the faith I once confessed and I will abandon those commitments to Jesus. It, it, it begins to weed out as kind of a foretaste of that final separation that Jesus will bring in his return. Jesus here, uh, Peter here rather, is reminding us persecution is a form of judgment within the church, a dividing between true faith and false faith. It reveals genuine faith and false faith. How? Well, Peter calls it fiery trials for a reason. It's a fire that burns up the things that are impure, burns up the dross of false faith. And Peter says that there are some who when that fiery trial comes upon them, uh, all that was there was dross and not pure gold. And they will be revealed as false believers. Or you can think about it this way. Uh, engineers do this. They test the strength of material in the lab so that they can be sure when it's in the real world, when it's used for what it's supposed to be used for, what it's designed for, it can withstand pressure, it can withstand weight, it can hold the burden that it's designed to hold. If you're talking about maybe like a beam or something that you might put in a house, they test those things in the lab so that in the real world they'll know whether or not it will stand up. Peter is telling us here, if you endure suffering for the name of Christ, you can count yourself blessed because it's evidence that you belong to Jesus and that therefore you will be rescued in the age to come, that you will be saved through that final judgment. Uh, Jesus talks about this in a, probably his most famous parable, the parable of the sower and the soils. Uh, Jesus tells a story about a, a farmer who went out with seed and he scatters his seed and it falls in four different places. It falls on a hard uh, a beaten path where people traveled a lot. Birds come and pluck up the seed. It doesn't, doesn't plant itself and grow. Some of the seed falls in a rocky place, springs up quickly, but it has no roots. And when the sun comes up, it dries up and dies. Other seed falls uh, among thorns and weeds. And when it, it grows up, but then those thorns uh, choke it out. The brambles choke it out. They, they suck all the nutrition away from it and it dies. And the final seed falls on good soil, and, and it produces fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And Jesus tells us in that parable, he's talking about the gospel spreading and the different ways that people respond to it. And particularly those, the seed that falls on rocky soil, it springs up quickly with joy even, Peter, uh, Jesus says. But as soon as the heat of suffering comes upon it, it withers away because it had no root. It's revealed as not genuine faith. But here's the thing we often forget. 
or at least I forget, the seed that falls on the good soil, that springs up, that bears fruit, it gets the sun too. It, it gets the heat of persecution as well. It gets the heat of suffering for the name of Christ. And so the difference is not that one gets the heat and the other doesn't. The difference is the seed that falls on the good soil is rooted in Christ and therefore is able to endure and is revealed as genuine faith when the heat of persecution comes. Your endurance now reveals that you belong to Jesus and that you will endure that final judgment. And so in some ways, Peter is saying, better to suffer a little bit now than to suffer a lot later with the ungodly and the sinner, which is why I think he quotes from Proverbs there in verse 18, if the righteous is scarcely saved or saved with difficulty, you know, Christian life is difficult. There's trials and tribulations. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Reminds me of uh, missionary Jim Elliott, uh, who he, with his wife Elizabeth, served um, native tribes, and he ended up giving his life. Uh, he died at their hands and seeking to share Christ uh, with this, this group. But he's famous for saying, um, he's famous for many things, I suppose, but he's famous for saying he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And Peter is, is here calling us to faithfulness and saying, if you endure now, one day your endurance will bear the fruit of glory and all sorrow will be taken away. Uh, you might say it this way. For Christians... Any suffering that we endure now, this is as bad as it gets. For non-Christians, this is as good as it gets. And that ought to be a sobering thought for us. Finally, notice the final exhortation that Peter uh, gives us in verse 19. He kind of sums it up. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That word for entrust, uh, it's kind of a word picture. Put your life in the hands of Jesus. You, you can endure suffering with joy as you place your life in his hands and believe that he is faithful. And when you do that, you're enabled not only to bear up under suffering, but to do good while you bear up underneath it. To love your neighbor to do good to those who persecute you, to continue doing the right thing, even though that's the very thing that brought you suffering in the first place, to faithfully endure as a way of testifying to those around you that there's a greater joy that belongs to the world to come, but you experience it now because of Christ and knowing him. So what does this look like? to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. It looks like obeying Christ in the hard places when your choice of obedience will very certainly bring suffering in your life. It looks like loving your enemies and forgiving others the ways that they have sinned against you. It looks like dying to yourself and it looks like living for God. In other words, it looks like Jesus. 
when you entrust yourselves to a faithful creator and you continue to do good, even while you suffer for the sake of Christ, what you're showing those around you is what it looks like to follow Christ and what it looks like for Christ to love us as he gave himself for us, enduring the cross for the joy set before him. Would you pray with me?